God's design for marriage is found in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Welcome to By Design from American Family Radio. This is Bert Harper, and we do welcome you by design. This is a program that I hope will strengthen you and help you in your life, in your marriage, in your family. And if all that happens, you're a blessing to others uh, in church and in your community and in our nation. And uh, that I would call that concentric circles. And so we pray that you are living your life by God's design first for salvation, that you've come to the place in your life where Jesus is real, that he has taken up first place in your life. Uh, The way it's been said by some, he's on the throne of your life. I pray that he is. And when he is, that puts you in the perfect position to do the other things God has in mind for you by his design. And uh, that's in marriage and in parenting. And so today we want to talk about that and specifically about marriage. And the scripture that I use is one that a lot of people use and a lot of people have, the Song of Solomon. And But there is a verse in the latter part of this book, chapter 8, verse 6, and uh, I think it holds some secrets that we really could look at and I hope develop and it'll bless you. So I hope you can listen to the whole program today and I would even say take some notes on this because I think it would strengthen you and help you. First of all, let me read that scripture. It is Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. In other words, death is going to come, and you're not going to override it. It's going to happen. Well, our love needs to be that strong that it cannot be overridden by circumstances and by others. And to do that, set me. That means put me at a place. Uh, Have me at this position over your heart and upon your arm. Now, why in the world is that said that way? Well, I think it has an idea that we need a lot of help as human beings because of our hearts uh, prone to wander, our minds not being determined, and our will being weak. But, you know, love is a great, great motivation. And uh, I, I remember hearing Dr. James Dobson telling that there was no such thing at love at first sight. Now, that really hurt a lot of folks that have a romantic idea of love, and I was one of those. Because my wife, Jan, I met her the first time I ever saw her. I thought it was love at first sight. Um, I can't sing, but I I was in the choir uh, as a young person because, well, I tell folks that's where my friends were, and it was a good place to look out in the congregation to see who was there, especially young girls as a teenager. And on this particular Sunday, we had three girls that we could identify who were visiting a relatively small church, and I saw one of them, and after it was over, we were all talking, the guys were talking about, not about the sermon, but about the girls that were there. I guess that shows you our spiritual maturity at that time. But uh, I told my friends to leave Jan alone. I didn't know that was her name. 
Uh, my wife has red hair, so I said, you leave the redhead alone. She's mine. Now, I, I didn't know I was a prophet. I really wasn't. It was just an explanation to them that I wanted to get to know her. And at that point in time, I was determined to get to know her. And the more I got to know her, the better the relationship became. And uh, it did grow into love. Although at that age in my life, I thought it was love at first sight. But it sure was interesting at first sight, I'll put it that way, as God drew me near her and God drew her near to me. And we would be married five years later. But, you know, in reading this about setting the seal upon your heart and upon your arm, I think it says this demonstrates two commitments that are made. The ring that we even use today and even then is an outward symbol of an inward covenant. In other words, when we put the ring on at a wedding ceremony, we're saying to this person, wear this ring as a reminder of the vows you are making, the vows are a covenant, and that covenant is with one another and ultimately is to God. And so here, the writer of the Song of Solomon is saying, uh, really, I, I'm putting two of these upon my heart and upon my arm. One would ordinarily be enough, but in this verse is an expression of what we really need to fulfill God's design for marriage. And I want to go over that today, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. It demonstrates this love between a husband and wife. First of all, notice it's over the heart. That's expressed by loving attitudes. And let me say this, this marriage and this relationship over the heart it means it's exclusive. One man, one woman. Not several men, not several women, but one man, one woman, one husband, one wife. So we come up to the word only one. Genesis records man being uh, created in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. And in verse uh, chapter 1, it says male and female, he created them. And then it goes to chapter 2 and zooms in on man's creation. It's not another creation story. It's just telling the, the story of the creation of the man and then the woman. And, and so the first problem that is identified in the Bible is, is when man, concerning man, is that man was alone. So the first problem, I did not say sin. I said the first problem. The first problem was aloneness, that it was not good. And when God finds out something's not good, notice God does something about it. It's not good that man would have to be lost. He did something about it. He sent his son. It's not good that man would be left to his own devices to try to make his way in this world as someone who has trusted the Lord, so he gave us his Holy Spirit. You see, when God sees that aloneness or that issue or that problem, God intervenes. And he intervened in this situation about man being alone. So the Bible makes it plain. From his side, he took a rib and made woman, and the two should become one flesh. Now, this aloneness is, is really throughout the Bible. Do you remember even Jesus in the New Testament? When he was sending out his apostles, he would send them out two by two. 
He didn't send them out there by themselves. He sent them two by two. There was accountability. There was encouragement. So all of those things go. And he also says in the book of Hebrews concerning worship, it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, God wants that. He wants that that to be a part of our lives, to share with one another. Uh, I know I've shared this story, especially on the program that I do on a, on a weekly, uh, daily basis, Monday through Friday, Exploring the Word. But I talk about this little boy who is in his bedroom by himself, and a big storm comes, and a big clap of thunder when, and the lightning and everything, and he's scared. He runs to his mom and dad's room to be with them. And they want him to be in his own room, and they said, God's with you in that room. So they took him back to the room, and they prayed for him. They went back to their bedroom. Another big clap of thunder, and he comes running. They, do, they repeat what they did the first time, and they really encouraged him to stay in his room. So it wasn't long till that third big clap of thunder and lightning came, and he runs to his mom and dad's room, and they begin to talk, and they said, we've told you God is with you. And he says, I know that, but tonight I need somebody with skin on. And, and you know, in our lives, we have God. He is sufficient. He is enough. But sometimes in our lives, we need that other human being. And in, in a husband and wife relationship, it is marriage that we need one another, not two men, not two women, not multiple uh, spouses, but one man, one woman. That is exclusive, and it's over the heart. And so the two become one. And that's the whole idea that he said that man would, would take unto himself a wife, and they shall become one flesh. In other words, they're not to compete with one another, but they are to complete one another. It says back in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, he made them in his image, male and female. Now, God is male. He's referred to male, but have you noticed many times it says God is like a nursing mother who cares for the babes? In other words, to fully express who God is and God's image, being just one male or one female or two males or two females did not grasp that that God has these characteristics of caring and loving and nurturing. And in marriage with a husband and wife and in the family of a father and mother, that is seen and observed. And it's a good picture of what we should be. So that means our marriages and our families should be testimonies. Uh, They should be missional. Our marriage should be missional that others would see how we respond and how we love one another exclusively, that we only have eyes for our wife and not have wandering eyes, that the world sees that and knows there's something great about that. There's something that God has put in man that that is the way it is to be. But not only is it the only one, it's not good to be alone that he made in take two, But Dr. David Jeremiah identified three lures that we must avoid in order to maintain that relationship between a husband and wife, that marriage relationship. It says in Proverbs 2, verses 16 and 17, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with words, who 
forsakes the companions of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Now, there's three things that lure us away from that marriage relationship that you must avoid at all cost. One is flattering conversations with others. You know, words are cheap. They really are. But words can allure others. They can be romantic. They can be helpful. They can be encouraging. And, and sometimes those words spoken by someone will lure us away from our marriage because we're not necessarily getting everything that we want in that relationship. But you need to understand that these words are cheap. And don't be lured away by flattering conversations. Men or women, what men might say to a woman at the workplace or vice versa, be careful and understand that is a lure that Satan is dangling before you to encourage you to destroy what God has put together in marriage, this husband and wife. But not just flattering conversations, but forsaken companions. You know, don't forsake the companion of your youth. You know, when that love was young and that love was just expressed in so much of an outward expression, continue that. Don't forsake that. Now, it's hard, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, I know it's hard, and, and I fail much, but I, I strive, and I know that's what I need to do and I want to do, so I will not turn my head toward another. I will look unto my wife that God's given me. You need to look unto your spouse that God has given you and, and say, Lord, I want to grow with them. I want to do the changes that come into our lives with them. You know, life is just a series of, of adjustments. And when we have to make adjustments, uh, we make them together in acceptance. So make sure you stay with that companion of your youth. And then do not forget the covenants, the forgotten covenants. In your marriage, you made vows for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. You made these vows unto God. You made them to one another. And God doesn't want us to break those covenants. He expects us to keep those covenants. And when things get rough and things get hard, remember that covenant that you made. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, that we would keep ourselves only unto the one that God has placed us with. That is God's design, and that's what he wants in your life and in my life. But not only did he have that signet ring over the heart, notice it was on his arm, or we could say his hand. Today it would be the finger. It would be just like that wedding band that you wear, that you have if you're married, or the one that you want to have on your hand if you're not married and you're looking for it. This relationship is not only to be exclusive over the heart, it's to be compassionate upon the hand. In other words, we serving. These are loving actions. It is demonstrated. It's just not talked about, but it is seen and it is observed and it's expressed in this way. And so you've got to be intentional. In order to love your wife or love your husband the way Christ loved the church for the males and the way the females were to teach the younger women to love their husbands, it's not just in words, but it's also in actions. Now, Gary uh, Chapman has come up with five love languages, and I love those five love languages, and they're good. 
And I've, I've looked at it and said, those five love languages need to be intentional. So this, this little area is called be intentional. This is really good for you to write down if you're listening and you can. But be intentional in your expression of your love. And Dr. Chapman would call these words of affirmation. But you express this appreciation. You don't let it go unsaid. You, you say the words. You write the notes. You text that message. And, and, and you send those cards but these are words of affirmation, and they're spoken, and they're written. They need to be expressed. Are you expressing that to your spouse? Are you expressing your love for them, your respect for them, your admiration for them? That needs to be expressed. It needs to be spoken. But not only be intentional in what you express, be intentional in your embrace. You know, you need to touch one another, love one another, hold hands, uh, you need to have that hug. Someone has said you need to, when you leave of a morning, give a hug. When you get back in the afternoon or in the evening, give that hug. Hold them for a while. Someone has said 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and 30 seconds. You ought to try that sometime. And uh, 30 seconds can be a real long time. And seal it with a kiss, that, that loving embrace. When you leave and when you arrive, make it special. Um, I, I just know that that touch is, is meaningful. And whether that's your, quote, love language or not, that touch still needs to happen. That embrace, that we embrace one another uh, is to be intentional. It's also to exchange, exchange gifts, exchange that which you have of giving things to one another. Again, uh, Dr. Chapman calls it receiving gifts, but I call it exchange. We, I want my wife to have some of the things that I, I know she needs, and so I'm able to deliver it. I'm able to give it to her. Now, if this is not your love language and it's not your area, to you have to be really intentional. You have to work at it. Work at it, uh, and, and you've got to be creative, and you might pick up ideas and, and, and do the things that God would have you to do. And, and, and it's not necessarily the, the price of the gift. It's the thought of the gift. It, it may be something that is really meaningful that only to the spouse, but you're able to exchange that and you give that and you show your love for them in such a way. But you also do it by exhibition. In other words, you're serving them. You're exhibiting a servant attitude. One of the most important things in marriage is serving one another. And having this exhibited servant attitude to help others makes people feel loved. Now, again, this may not be their primary love language, but it is still needed. It, they needed to be have it so they're cared for. And you need to do it because you are that servant that God's called you into this marriage to be, serving one another. And, and so the fifth one is enhance. Now, how do you enhance your relationship? Let me just tell you, it's going to take time. Uh, and, and again, Dr. Chapman calls it quality time. You enhance this relationship by being intentional in your time together. Uh, you know, and unless you make it happen, it will not happen. And again, this is, this is something you enjoy doing together. 
or at least one of you, and one of you learns to do it. Some of the things that that uh, my wife enjoys doing, I've learned to enjoy them with her, and some of the things I enjoy, she's learned to enjoy them with me. And so those things, are they're helpful. But it's good to have 20 or 30 minutes of conversation during the day. Uh, when you come home, to share with one another and, and talk about the day. And again, as you get older, uh, it, and sometimes it gets more difficult because you've discovered what their favorite color is. You don't have to discuss that anymore. Uh, you don't have to discuss uh, all the things that you did when you were dating, but you add to that and you put your desire and your love into that to spend time with them, to have quality conversation. So be intentional in your expression, in your embrace, in your exchange of gifts in exhibiting service and enhancing your time. So be intentional. If you're not intentional, I want to tell you, you'll go downstream. You'll float away from one another. This is to be intentional and guarded by God. And it's God designed for this to happen because it happens in our spiritual life. We've got to be intentional in our walk with God. The book of Amos says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the whole idea is that we're to agree with God. We're to come to him and spend time with him. One of my favorite characters is not mentioned much is Enoch. Enoch walked with God. And so, listen, that's what you want to do. You walk in time with one another. And, and so this is to be intentional in your marriage and intentional in your walk with the Lord. And then finally, in this passionate loving actions to be expressed as exhibited by the covenant ring upon the hand is to be intimate. Now, 1 Corinthians 5, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, do not sexually deprive one another. So we've discovered, and I've read this, and there have been several authors that's come, seven purposes of this marriage intimate relationship seven purposes. And we know one of them is obvious. That's what uh, God said to Adam and Eve, that they were to know one another and multiply the people upon the earth. That means conception would happen. One of the intimate details in marriage is reproduction of that of children coming into your life. And it's enhancing one another. It's something that it takes two and it's shared together in there to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this is part of the intimacy that God has for us is reproduction, that children come from this loving relationship. It is multiplied. It is fruitful. It's also to comfort one another, that we are to able to hold one another and comfort one another in a world gone mad this relationship between a husband and wife expressed with one another in mind is intimate in comforting one another. You don't go and get comfort for someone else. You don't find this comfort in a wayward relationship, but this comfort is to be the husband and wife as they mutually meet one another's needs in such a way. It is for pleasure. Now, what happens when this happens outside of marriage? I just want to tell you, all these things will come back to haunt you. There may be instant pleasure, but the long-range pleasure of this relationship between a husband and wife is not one that would sin against the body. But the Bible makes it plain. 
that sex outside of marriage is sin against your own body. But when it's in the context of marriage of a husband and wife, it gives not just immediate pleasure, but long-range pleasure as well. It also builds self-esteem and confidence to have that relationship that is intimate between a husband and wife, and it is an exclusive relationship. It's an intentional relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It builds the self-esteem of each one of those individuals that they're, they're not uh, giving away their heart, and but they're living not in shame, but they're living in encouraging one another. The fifth thing besides reproduction, comfort, pleasure, self-esteem is bonding. Now, this is so real. Uh, this happens if you notice when a mother gives birth to a, to a baby, they immediately take that baby and give it to the mother so she can hold it close to, that, uh, to her as to one another. That's that bonding that takes place. When the husband and wife are close to one another, there's bonding. But when it happens outside of the text of, of, of marriage, it's giving part of your heart away. When, and if you have more than one, your, your heart will be broken again and again as you have given it away in disappointment. But it also shows intimate knowledge that we only have as a husband and wife. There are certain things that only the husband knows. There are certain things that only the wife knows. These are the things that bind us together, and it's this intimacy that we know one another. And this is God's design because he wants that husband and wife to have this relationship that is so close that it cannot be expressed any other way outside of marriage. And then finally, it's for protection. The seventh reason for this intimate sexual relationship is for protection so that that you, your heart, is satisfied. The Bible makes it plain that you're not to deprive one another of this relationship, this intimate relationship, because it, it will protect you. It will draw you closer together, and your mind and your heart will not wander, but you'll have an exclusive, this exclusive idea of relationship with one another. Now, this is God's design, again, from uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set uh, me as a seal over your heart and a seal upon your arm. This is the whole idea that in my loving attitudes, in my loving actions, is in this marriage expressed exclusively with one another. And so what is the, what is the conclusion of all this? It's like a bank. You make deposits, and then you have to, when you write a check or do something, a debit card, you withdraw certain money. If we don't make deposits soon to our marriage in these ways that I've talked about, the intentional way, the intimate ways, then when we start getting money from the bank, if we're not careful, we'll have an overdraft. And then the overdraft causes all kinds of damage. It costs money. It costs time. And so, but if you will continue to make these deposits, you continue to love one another, care for one another, you'll find out that this marriage will be successful. Therefore, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Make it exclusive. One man and one woman, your husband and wife, protect your heart. Don't let bitterness grow. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And finally, seal your heart. Let the Holy Spirit of God just saturate you so much that God is guiding you 
and he is meeting your needs according to his riches that are in Christ Jesus. That's God's design. He's got design for your life, and he's got design for your marriage, and he has design for your family. May you follow God, and may you follow his design for your life.